Happy Friday, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Frere and Smith podcast. Today will be a little bit different. It is going to be a special episode where we answer your questions. Before we dive into your questions, though, here's a quick reminder. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Also, take a moment to drop us a quick rating or review. Let us know what your favorite part of today's episode was. Caden, I'm really excited to finally answer some questions from our faithful listeners. Are you excited as well? Definitely. We've heard from these people a lot on Twitter, and we finally get to get their voices on the podcast now. So super excited for the people to hear their questions, hear us answer them, and kind of have a little back and forth exchange with some of our listeners for the first time. Yeah, Caden, this will be fun. We have, you know, about 12, 15 different questions that were submitted by our listeners. So definitely excited to jump into those. It's kind of a great mix of talk about East teams, West teams, future of teams, uh, as well as some juicy talk, I'm sure, about the transfer portal. So we'll jump right in. And Caden, this question was submitted by one of our listeners, John Elwell, and he asked uh, very simply, which player on offense and on defense are you most excited to see back in the league next season? So there's going to be a very obvious choice, I think, when you look at this conference and some of the big names we've talked about week in and week out. And a really big announcement that I think we both caught our attention on Twitter was LaDamian Webb coming back for another year for South Alabama. I mean, we saw what he can do and how effective he was in this offense this year and just absolutely dominant. I still have flashbacks of them coming back against Georgia Southern behind his legs, not throwing the ball behind his legs. And I think him in his second year as an offensive player in this system behind Kane Womack especially with Carter Bradley having another year of eligibility as well. He's someone I definitely have my eye on. And then kind of my more sleeper offensive option, I think, is Cam Fancher. I think at Marshall, a big what-if of this season would have been, had he started at the beginning of the season, what would this year look like for this team? And I think he kind of got his feet wet when he got his first start, and you just saw him week after week start to build that confidence up and get better and better at being a complementary piece to their run game and really getting the ball in the end zone. I think if he comes back next year, as a returning starter, has a full offseason, getting that timing right with his receivers, he can have another breakout year. And then on the defensive side of ball, man, it's hard not to say a guy like Jason Henderson, who in such a young career has gotten so many tackles. And his team's a little bit less exciting, obviously, with some of the transfer portal moves and some of the stuff they have going on over there. But he made it known that he's going to be coming back. He's a guy who's loyal to that program. So I'm excited to watch him work. And then in the secondary, him aside, a team and a player I'm very excited about is Ian Banks a sophomore who had a great year, had five interceptions for South Alabama. And I just think that him coming back in this third year on this team again, a South Alabama team that's, I think, going to be, again, really special. Those are the two guys I'm probably looking at on the defensive side of the ball. Well, that's the last time I'm going to let you answer a question first because you just took all of my players. So now (laughs) I'm going to have to make some things up. But there are still a lot of good options. And I'm going to start on the defensive side of the ball. I think the two guys that you brought up could play huge roles last year. I think really the caveat to this whole question is we've seen the changes that the transfer portal has brought in. And I think it's become even harder to track eligibility and what players have remaining years. Uh, There's one guy that I think, you know, or I know still has one year of eligibility that I'm really interested to see if he comes back. And that's Stephen Gilmore at Marshall. Uh, He was one of the best ball hawks in the Sun Belt this year. And I think that that's a Marshall team that I know you're high on for next year. We're going to get into that in a little bit later on in this episode. But I think if he comes back, he could be a real difference maker in that Marshall secondary. Really good this year. And I certainly think the pedigrees there for him. And you might maybe see him try to take that leap into an NFL draft. So if he does come back, he would be one of my selections. You know, you didn't mention him. And here's another guy that does have an additional year of eligibility. And that's the quarterback at Georgia State, Darren Granger. He 
was a player, Caden, that I think we dogged on a little bit at the beginning of the year or maybe just demanded more out of um, early on in the season. And we saw there was probably a six to eight game stretch where arguably he was one of the best quarterbacks in this league. He's probably one of the better dual threat options. I think that's what I love about that Cam Fancher pick that you mentioned a moment ago as another guy that brings it, you know, in terms of running and throwing the football. Uh, so I think Darren Granger could be a, a really sneaky, good offensive piece next year uh, for Georgia State. Yeah, and I think with that is another guy who's a very good complimentary piece with him is Jamari Thrash. I believe he's a junior and he has some eligibility left too. And I think if those two guys both come back, you saw how good the connection developed throughout the season. If they both come back, those are definitely going to be two guys to look at and really just a team to look at overall because this East is kind of looking a little open, a little bit more open than we were talking about last season for sure. So I think Georgia State definitely has some guys to be excited about as well coming back next year. Let me throw a quick sleeper in there before we move on past this question. My sleeper pick for who could be the best player again is a guy who would have a chance next year to go for four consecutive Player of the Year awards. I'm starting to trend in the direction that it would not surprise me to see Grayson McCall back at Coastal Carolina. I like the head coaching pick there with the offensive play caller, Tim Beck, and it might give him a good reason to come back. Jared Brown, another great guy there. So those are some of my sleepers. Uh, but Caden, we'll move on. Uh, one of our listeners, Sean McAllister, he's a big South Alabama fan, but really loves the Sunbelt West. And Man, he gave us a laundry list of questions, and we're going to take time to go through each one of these because they were all really worth going through. Uh, first off, and I'll go first after I read out this question, but what have been your thoughts on South Alabama this season, and what are your expectations for next year? Caden, uh, I'm going to go ahead and eat some humble pie here. I took Louisiana to win the West here this year, and I think we learned that there was just way too many questions for them, particularly at that quarterback position. Uh, Louisiana never quite put it together. And I'm also going to now give you some flowers. You were a guy when we looked at the standings in that West, you said, Hey, South Alabama is a team that is primed to take a big leap. They had a good year last year going five and seven, just missed bowl eligibility and man, Caden, they have taken, you know, one of the biggest leaps. And I don't want to give away one of my picks for later on in this episode, but they would have to be in the running for one of the most surprising teams in the Sunbelt this year. Uh, I know that you and I have talked off camera about the fact that they are now forcing us to think differently moving into next year in terms of how we pick teams to win this league because they brought back a lot of nice pieces. They got Carter Bradley, who turned into just an absolute star, uh, who does have a year of eligibility remaining. Um, and South Alabama was a huge surprise this year. They've been a really good team, Caden. They were one you know, fake field goal away from probably being the group of five team in the Cotton Bowl this year if they had been able to beat UCLA. Uh, so they were a really good team this year. And I think looking ahead for South Alabama, Caden, when you look at this Jags roster, they will be one of the most complete teams coming back next year. You've got, you know, LaDamian Webb, who you already mentioned coming back. Carter Bradley's expected to return. You lose Jalen Wayne on the outside, but you've still got Devin Voison out there. You've got Colin Lacey, a couple of star wide receivers. Um, and then you look at the defensive side of the ball where they're bringing back seven of their top tacklers, including the guy that I know you love, Yam Banks. They've got some great play in that linebacking core. I think for them, the biggest question mark next year is what are they going to have on the outsides at those cornerback uh, positions? And if they can get that answered, I think South Alabama could be one of the title favorites next year. 
Well, I appreciate you giving me my props for picking these guys heading into the season. I think it was a little bit of a hotter take at the time, and I was very happy with how well it aged, and I don't think even me personally could have anticipated it aging so well. I mean, I looked at their schedule, and I thought they had it set up to where they could ease themselves into being a good team this year, and I think week in and week out, they just continue to prove everyone wrong that had any doubts about this team heading into it. I think they had some guys with their chips on their shoulder. People were probably questioning Kane Walmack, questioning a transfer like Carter Bradley and some of these weapons, and they all fully executed in that. And I think they had the best season I think you could possibly picture them having short of being in the championship as far as a second year for Kane. So I think they had a great year, knocked my socks off for sure. And I think one of the more important things they really picked up this year was just that winning pedigree. I think they lost a lot of games in the past that they weren't supposed to lose. They had the talent. They were set up and poised to win those games. And now this year, you can kind of see them moving with that confidence. They have that pressure applied on other teams now where they're controlling games, they're finishing games out, and they're building that winning culture. And I think that's a very exciting thing that could, like you said before, lead into next year with a lot of these pieces they're bringing back. I think South Alabama had a fantastic season and I think they have a lot to build on in the future. So I think as far as really all the teams in the conference this year, short of the ones that were in the championship, they might have some of the highest expectations going to next year. And they they kind of earned that. I think they earned that through Kane. And I never forget his quote saying that they've gone from having the target on other people's backs to it on their back. And I think going into the season, the target is going to be on their back because I think they are bringing the most people back. They have the most depth coming back. And I think they will be the favorites in the West, depending on how things shake this offseason. So high expectations for them and a great season for them for sure. I think that was a great point you just made about, you know, in years past, I think back to last year, there was losses to ULM and Texas State, just games that they shouldn't have lost. They should have been bowl eligible. Uh, and this year they figured out how to win those games with the exception of that tight game uh, to Troy and, you know, the one point loss to UCLA, who's a top 15 program. So definitely things trending up down in Mobile. Sean also asked us, Caden, and this is, I think, a question that is really juicy and I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it. Will Southern Miss be a West contender next year? Southern Miss, uh, a, a, a program we love talking about in this podcast, good, bad, or anything in between. I think if you look at Southern Miss in the West next year, I do think they are poised to have a better season than they did last year. I think their first for their first season in this new conference in the Sun Belt, and they did a good job. They made their bowls. They lost a couple tight games and kind of really lost a little bit of control down the stretch. But I think coming back next year, they have some of the things and some of the foundational elements that we've seen from a lot of successful Sunbelt teams in the past, present, and I think in the future. And that's a strong defense and a strong running game. I think those are two things they're going to be able to lean on in the offseason. I really think their success and their ceiling is all going to be determined by that quarterback position like we've been talking about. Do they go with Trey Lowe in the offseason? Do they go back to a guy like Zach Wilkie? I think this offseason, those coaches need to kind of just lean into this quarterback battle and really kind of hype it up a little bit. I think when you're on teams where it's a little bit of a toss-up and you have a quarterback battle in the offseason, you can really use it to be a, a distracting force or a unifying force. And I think if you can get those guys really competing in the spring, trying to get after that job and really having the best man come out of it, or you never know, hit the transfer portal and have someone elevate your roster to another level, I think that's what it's going to really come down to as far as their success next year. So I think they are primed for that success. I think they made a beautiful transition, not like a JMU-esque transition into this conference, but they did what they had to do, and I think they have enough talent on their roster in the right places to make some noise again. It's just going to be about that quarterback position. Okay, my hot take in terms of is Southern Miss going to be a contender next year is yes, they will be one of the top three teams in the West. But here's my other hot take. The quarterback for next year's Southern Miss team is not currently on that roster. I think Will Hall has to go into the portal 
and bring in an experienced signal caller. I don't think he can afford to go into next year with a couple of these young guys that clearly need additional seasoning. Uh, I also think Southern Miss has questions to answer on the outside. Jason Brownlee will play his final game uh, in next week's Lending Tree Bowl. I think he has been one of the best wide receivers. Some could argue that maybe he was a second-team wide receiver this year as opposed to a third-team receiver, so that'll be a big loss. I think they need to continue to reload on defense. But, Caden, you were 100% right. This is a Southern Miss team that has the recipe to win in this league. We have seen teams like Troy and even James Madison ride really good defenses to strong winning and then be able to also do just enough on offense, probably with the exception of James Madison uh, that had a really good offensive year. But clearly defense, the old quote goes, wins championships. And I think Southern Miss has the pieces uh, to do that. And I think Will Hall has that program heading in the right direction. Caden, we're going to move on to a program that is heading in the exact opposite direction, and that is Arkansas State. And the question that was posed is, what is it going to take for Arkansas State to return to that early mid-2010s form where they were one of the better teams in this league? And I'll go ahead and start with this. And I have real question marks about Arkansas State and what's going on in Jonesboro. I know I've seen a lot on Twitter lately where the fan base is starting to desert that program a little bit after a second consecutive poor football season. There's a new AD in Jonesboro, and he's really yet to make a statement kind of after the season. We kind of thought Butch Jones might be on the hot seat. We have not seen that materialize, so I would tend to believe at this point he's your head coach again for a third season, and he has a little bit more leash. Uh, but, Caden, the concern I have for Arkansas State is we've now been told for two years that, hey, there's a lot of young guys on this roster, and they need time to season and the problem was that seasoning never came this year. It felt like those young guys got worse as the season went on. I think this is an Arkansas State team, Caden. If they want to turn things around, they need to make some moves out of the portal. They need to recruit better. And they really need to try to figure out what their identity is. And I don't think they have much of an identity right now. Uh, so I'm really down on this program. And it's going to be hard for them over the next couple of years to make a huge rebound unless they can go get a lot of you know, big wins out of the transfer portal, which at this point, Caden, they're not overly a very appealing program to head to right now. I agree with a lot of what you said, and I think what it's going to ultimately take for Arkansas State to get back into that relevancy all starts at the top. It's going to start with the athletic directors, the coaches, the people in those positions of power, and it's going to have to trickle down from there because two conference wins in the past two seasons is just not going to cut it, especially when you see new teams entering this conference having immediate success, making bowl games. That just did not help Arkansas State at all. This was a team that could kind of rely on some of the relevancy from back in the day and kind of use that as hopefulness. But when you have a new young blood in the conference being successful, you have to be afraid that that gap is only going to get wider and wider depending on the direction this program goes in. So I think if you are Arkansas State, you have to look at your leadership. You have to look up top. And you mentioned it. They're in Arkansas. They're in their, they, they own a state as far as being in this conference. So recruiting is a little bit tricky for them. And I think you're not going to be able to sell wins and losses. So I think right now, what can you sell? You're going to have to be able to sell a new culture, a new regime, and some new top-down leadership that can get these guys excited. I think the portal can help a lot of these teams. I don't think a massive overhaul in the portal can help a team like Arkansas State. I think that can only put a little Band-Aid on this team going forward. But I think if you look at them, even if they get they're not going to, they put a team together with a bunch of guys from the portal and they win some games this year. And those guys leave next year. That's going to just put them in the position they're in right now. So I think instead of looking for some of those portal fixes, I think they really need to just tap back in to their recruiting, find their identity, 
and just have a massive overhaul as far as internal image and just figuring out what kind of team and what kind of program you want this to be. It could be a better coach. It could be better leadership moving forward. And maybe you get two or three more wins this year. And then the next one, you make a bowl game. It's going to take gradual success. And I think if they try to fix it overnight. It might work out even worse for this team. So I think they just got to be patient now, take their lumps and really just find a leader and find a process to go through that will kind of benefit them in the long term versus the short term. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And another thing that you said in the middle of that answer was they've now seen new blood come into this conference. And, you know, one of those teams, and we're going to get into another question here submitted by Sean, was that Old Dominion team. And that's a team that beat Arkansas State uh, this year, 29-26, midway through the season. And that was a team that finished towards the bottom of the East. And Arkansas State lost that football game to a team that's new to the conference. And I think that had to kind of be a shot across the bow in Jonesboro. Caden, the question was posed. We've seen a lot of players leave Old Dominion in recent weeks. Ollie Jennings announced that he's transferring. We've seen Blake Watson also announce. I haven't heard anything from Hayden Wolf yet. Jason Henderson did say that he would be staying uh, in Norfolk. But what do you make of so many guys leaving and, and you know leaving that Old Dominion program? I think it's not a good sign. I mean, we talked about the struggles of this old Dominion team all season. And when they lose their players that were some of the few players that actually got things going for this team this season, it's definitely not a good sign. I think a lot of those struggles on the offensive end, whether you think it's players, whether you think it's coaches, whatever you want to point to, is definitely a combination of both. But the fact that those top guys, them being in the portal is one thing, but I think another thing to look at was the urgency that they were in the portal. Those guys were in the portal pretty fast after the season. They didn't really hesitate. And I feel like that's not a great sign if you're an ODU fan going forward when you're in this new conference. You kind of proved you can compete, got a big win over Coastal, but if there's just not that character on the team where your best players and your leaders are the ones thinking they can keep this thing going, that's a tough issue. And I think they're going to have to get some guys in the portal to compete next year. They're going to have to kind of not as extreme as Arkansas State, but kind of resell themselves and find a new identity, especially on the offensive end. Jason Henderson staying on the defensive end is a great sign for them. I'm not nearly as worried about that side of the ball from them, but I think on the offensive side of the ball, they might have to do a little bit of a facelift, get a new creative mind in there and get some new players and talent in there to build around that. Caden, have we mentioned the word transfer portal enough in this episode? Yeah, I think I think it's a little bit important these days from what I'm hearing in college football. Definitely what we're seeing in our next two questions, and I'm going to go ahead and combine these. One comes from Hall Jones, and he wanted to just ask about our general thoughts on the transfer portal. And then Sean's last question is, which team is best positioned to, as he put it, strike gold in the transfer portal during uh, you know this offseason? I'll go ahead and start here. And, you know, Caden, I am all for the transfer portal. We talked with Harry Lyles on Wednesday's episode about some of the benefits that it provides. Uh, I think there has been so many different stories where you've seen guys who have gone in and excelled, uh, you know, after utilizing the transfer portal. I think of a guy like Chase Bryce, who we've had on this podcast, you know, even a guy, you know, I know his season came to an end in a way they didn't want it to, but uh, you look at USC in the Pac-12 and a guy like Caleb Williams, who who followed Lincoln Riley to USC and really has taken off. Um, you think back to Joe Burrow, who kind of started all of this, uh, who you know ended up taking LSU to a national championship. So there's so many great stories that have come out of this transfer portal, guys who were buried on the depth chart um, that have gotten an opportunity. But Caden, here's the cautionary tale, and I've really appreciated Chase Bryce kind of being out in front of some of this on Twitter, is he has said... You know, ultimately, and I think you would echo this, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. It's easy to jump into the portal, but do you want to subject yourself to that? You look at, 
you know, I saw I saw a cartoon the other day, and it was basically three quarterbacks standing around the football, and it said, you know, this guy's the third string quarterback, and then it showed another picture of him jumping into the portal where there's now a hundred quarterbacks. So it's a cautionary tale. There's a lot of guys these days that are bolting for the portal. Uh, that we're never going to see play college football again. And I think that's what's concerning about the portal. I think there does need to be some guardrails. Uh, Has it created some excitement in college football? Absolutely, yes. I know that you and I have been glued into the portal talk on Twitter uh, recently, but um, you know, I think that's kind of my thoughts. And if there was a team, Caden, that I think is really well positioned in the portal heading into the offseason, I really like South Alabama. That's a team that is built to win again next year. And I think that they're a team that could potentially strike some gold in the portal. Yeah, I liked a lot of what you said, Noah. And I think when you look at the transfer portal, I support, there's a lot of changes right now happening in college football. Let's just start with that. Between the transfer portal, between name, image, likeness, and between some of this conference realignment we're going to see in the next couple of years in the expanded playoff. I don't know if anyone's familiar with the movie of everything, everywhere, all at once, but that's kind of what's happening right now with college football. It's everything, everywhere, all at once. And I think the portal might be the best example of that. We see so many guys in there and we touched on it with our conversation with Harry. I think because there's so many guys in the portal, we will see a trickle down of some of this power five talent who might think, oh, okay, I'm going to just hit the portal and I'm going to kind of get re-recruited like I did in high school. I think that's not going to be the same for everybody. And I think some of these guys are going to have to take a step down and play at the group of five level. And I think that will trickle to the symbol directly. And I think we will see quite a bit of power five talent coming out of high school, especially guys who've maybe gotten buried on depth charts at some of these bigger name schools come t- down to the Sun Belt and have to prove themselves. But I think with the portal in general, I think that's going to be the most residual effect, the most visual effect we see on the game the next couple of years. But you pair that with all the other aspects of college football I'm talking about right now. The game is just changing so much. And I'm an old head and I, I like a lot of the traditional stuff of college football, I like the regional rivalries. And I love that the Sun Belt's leaning into that. But that combined with NIL plus the portal stuff, you have to just be looking at the trajectory of college football. And it's definitely looking a little bit more like a minor league system heading to the NFL when in the reality, only 1% of these guys are going to get that shot at the next level. So very curious to see how the rest of the 99% of that goes with the transfer portal and hope that not all these guys, like you said before, end up not being at a school because getting the education is what matters. And I think if these kids show up to a school or are on full scholarship and don't stick it out, end up in the portal, and then they're stuck without any scholarship or any education. That's going to flip this whole thing and show an ugly side of this that we're probably not going to see talked about as much, but definitely really exists. But all that being said, if we're talking about teams in the conference that I think could strike gold in the portal, I think you have to look at James Madison being the top one. You talked about South Alabama. I think they are a great team and they're poised for a ton of success next year. But I think they do have a lot of those spots and weapons at key positions that won't have to be taken care of versus you look at James Madison. They come into the conference, new kids on the block, ride that FCS momentum into the FBS, and they lost some important pieces that I think other guys who are in the portal, even a high school recruit, is going to say, oh, okay, I can be that next Tots and Teo, that Chris Thor, and those positions that need to be filled, they can see themselves in that role, and Kirk Signetti is going to give them that confidence and give them that warm welcome at that school that's just football's premier. They have a lot of things going on. They don't have a shortage of money, that's for sure, and I think that's going to be the destination I think that we see a lot of these people go to when they do hit the Sunbelt Conference and do hit the portal. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. That James Madison team is primed to have another really good year next year, I think. Uh, Caden, I did want to say how much I really did just appreciate the perspective you gave on the portal. I know you and I got to spend a lot of time together as we drove down to the Sunbelt Championship game uh, this past weekend. And one of the things that struck me was you talking about choosing to return to get that second degree. And I think, you know, that clearly showed you had a good head on your shoulders. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of 
players that are only thinking potentially about their football future. And even at times you have shared, you know, I think there had been a dream that you could have made it to the next level. You've gotten to play alongside of a lot of NFL guys. And I think you clearly realized your career was coming to an end. Uh, so I think the portal is going to be a cautionary tale over the next couple of years. Like I said, I'm all for creating opportunities in college football, but uh, you definitely are going to, you know, see some bad come out of the portal. But I think that's kind of the case in anything that happens. So, Kane, we'll move on. Uh, uh, Twitter user Roca Mortis uh, tossed in a couple of questions, particularly about that Coastal Carolina team. And that's a program that now has seen uh, a big shift. And we'll get into a little bit more of this in the offseason. But, Caden, they asked first, um, you know, just about the thoughts about Jamie Chadwell going to Liberty. I'll go ahead and answer this and then, um, you know, we'll I'll get your thoughts. Um, but, you know, I think for me, I was really excited to see Jamie Chadwell get that opportunity. Uh, he has clearly been one of the best coaches in uh, the group of five over the last couple of seasons. And, you know, Caden, it was interesting. I had seen a Twitter take about two and a half, three weeks ago, and it was like, huh, I wonder if Jamie Chadwell would go to Liberty. And I very quickly said on Twitter, I said, no, he's not going to Liberty. That would be a lateral move. He's going up to the power five uh, level or he's staying at Coastal Carolina. And I was proved wrong. Um, and the more I've looked at this, the more you can understand why he went to Liberty. First of all, the money is a thing. No matter, you know, he would, you know, he might not say it's a thing out loud, uh, but there's a large difference between a $1.5 million salary compared to, you know, $4 million a year over seven years. Uh, I also think what's neat for him has been, you know, the faith element aspect. He's obviously been at several institutions. He even talked about that in his uh, introductory press conference was how important it was to be back at an institution where he could openly share his faith. Um, and so I think it's a really good fit for him. I think that he's a guy um, that could, you know, really do some great things at Liberty. They're moving to a weaker conference next year in Conference USA. Uh, and I think that there's a, a strong chance for them to make a run. So I, I really like uh, Jamie Chadwell moving on to Liberty. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's funny. I had a similar conversation. I was telling my mother, who doesn't know as much about college football as we do, but she keeps up with it. And I, when I told her Jamie Chadwell was going from Coastal Carolina to Liberty, she was also thinking it was more of a lateral move. In her head, she was like, wait, aren't those two teams that are kind of on the same level. And I was like, yes, in a lot of ways, a Liberty, a Coastal Carolina, they're on the same level as far as group of five. But I think when you look at Liberty and what they're able to do as an independent team that was able to make their schedule, schedule some big power five games and get some big wins and get themselves on the national spotlight, that's just been a lot greater for them compared to a lot of other group of five schools. And you look at a guy like Jamie, you can't not be happy for him at this opportunity. He's getting more money, like you mentioned, which that's always going to talk every time. And I think have to be happy for him for that. And I think also, you look at a coach like Jamie Chabell, he's been at a head coach at every level and every coach is kind of striving to get to that next level and kind of have that next move in their head of where to go. And I think if there was one of these big power five jobs that we've been hearing about all offseason open for Jamie Chabell, I think he would have strongly considered it. But I think Liberty, from what his options were, is kind of the best move if you were to make a move and stay at the group of five level. He'll make a lot more money. We talked about their great facilities, all the stuff they have there, how well-funded that program is. And just kind of the name holds a little bit more weight nationally when you're talking about a team that's a group of five program that finds themselves in the top 25 rankings a lot more commonly than a team like Coastal Carolina. So I'm excited for him to build that offense. That's really just been the bread and butter of what he's got had going on at every coaching level he's had 
is that offense. I think if he can get the right pieces at Liberty, build that offensive up and have that fun culture he had at Coastal Carolina, sky's the limit for this Liberty team, especially like you mentioned in a new conference next year that they're kind of poised to be dominant in. Yeah, I think there's some great thoughts. And I think last thing on this is, you know, to the Coastal Carolina fans that are upset uh, that he left, I, I think you have to look at what he's given you over the last couple of years. He took that program from, you know, as some of the players mentioned in one of the press conferences, Caden, from a program where Football athletes were afraid to wear their football gear out around campus because they were laughed at and made fun of to a program that has historically been a top 25 program over the last couple of years that's had almost 40 nationally televised games. And Jamie Chadwell was a large part of that. So uh, good for him for going and getting some money. And I think that he's going to do some great things at Liberty. Caden Roca Mortis also asked us just for our thoughts on uh, Coastal Carolina's hire of offensive or North Carolina State offensive coordinator Tim Beck. And I wanted to get your take on that hire. Yeah, Tim Beck is a great offensive mind. I think there's no secret or dancing around that as far as what he's been able to do at the college level. You've seen him lead some great offenses and be a part of a lot of those great offenses and a lot of great and successful and productive quarterback play. I think that's definitely something to be excited about. But I will say one of the things I am worried about as far as Tim Beck having this coastal job and being the next guy to fill those big shoes that Jamie Chabell has made now is just his inexperience as a head coach. This is his first head coaching job and being an offensive mind and being a guy who can call plays well and get the game plan ready is one thing, but just being a head coach is a complete other thing. You have to run a lot of different operations. You have to have your hands all, all the way into recruiting. You have to be the leader in the face of the program. There's going to be a lot on his plate. And I think at a place like Coastal Carolina now, Jamie has made those expectations very high ones, and he has big expectations to fill as far as building that culture. You have to be curious about how much of that Jamie culture is still going to stay there and how much of that new culture that Tim Beck is going to have to create as a new head coach. We've already seen some coastal players hitting the transfer portal. I think some people are kind of up in the air about how this team is going to look, and I think that does put a lot of pressure on Tim Beck's plate as a first-year head coach at a team that maybe is in a little bit of disarray right now. They were in the championship, but they lost it the way they didn't want to. Some player changes, some coaching changes probably. Then there's a lot of questions that need to be answered at Coastal Carolina this offseason, and that's kind of asking a lot for a first-year head coach. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think that was an interesting perspective that you gave. Uh, I think he is set up to have success at Coastal Carolina. I think Joe Moglia, who made this hire alongside Matt Hogue, uh, has proven a track record of bringing in good head coaches. He he was the guy who brought Jamie Chadwell in, and we saw how that worked out. So I think he mentioned, uh, you know, in some comments I've seen from him recently, how important relationship was in this, and he had a prior relationship with Tim Beck. So I really think Tim Beck is set up to be successful. I think that Coastal Carolina is a dark horse program in terms of the transfer portal. I think they're going to, you know, get some players. Obviously, we're going to see some players leave. I mean, we've seen Josiah Stewart pick up, you know, quite a few Power 5 offers, including Michigan. Uh, so he's 100% gone. Uh, we saw Willie Lampkin, their standout center, announce, uh, you know, yesterday that he was headed to the transfer portal. So that would be a tough loss. If I'm Tim Beckett, it all comes down to one thing. Can I keep, can I keep Grayson McCall in the fold? And um, you know, I actually really like the fit here. If Grayson McCall sticks around Grayson, uh, you know, the one thing that we have talked about him a lot is that he is a, he's a system type of quarterback. I think there's more in the tank for Grayson McCall. And I think an offense that Tim Beck is going to bring where we've seen so many good quarterbacks in years past, you think back to Cardell Jones, uh, at Ohio state, you think to Sam Ellinger at Texas, Devin Leary at NC state. I mean, he's worked with some great quarterbacks in a system that would make them ready for the NFL. 
Uh, so I really think Tim Beck needs to really try to bring Grayson McCall back. And if he can, then I feel a lot better about Coastal Carolina than I currently do uh, heading into next season. Well, Kane, we'll move past the Coastal Carolina talk. And we got a couple of questions submitted by one of your former teammates, one of you know your good buddies, who's also a podcast listener, uh, Thomas Hennigan, who uh, you know, got, you know, ended up in the NFL after his playing career at App State. Uh, Caden, the first question he asked, and I'm going to let you go first here, and I'm also going to give a caveat. Um, he asked, what is your biggest surprise team in the Sun Belt this year, and what team was your most disappointing team? I'm not ready to have the conversation about how disappointing App State was, so you are not allowed to say App State in terms of your most disappointing team in the league this year. Oh, man. Well, that was definitely my go-to answer. But I'll just start with the biggest surprise. And I think you can't look any further than the conference champions in Troy. I mean, we didn't predict this team being this good. I don't think they even predicted this team being this good. I mean, John Summerall said it at the press conference after the game. He's, I knew we were going to be good. I knew that we had the capability to make the conference championship game. I don't think that necessarily means he thought he was going to make that game. So I think you have to give it to Troy. We definitely slept on their experience they brought back just because we didn't really seem like the positions that really get you excited as far as bringing experience back. They brought back Carlton Marshall, a lot of those staples on the offensive line, a lot of those staples on the defensive side of the ball, and that carried them all the way to a conference championship, a team that definitely was not expected to finish this well. So I think you have to give the biggest surprise to Troy for not only having a great season, but really pulling it off it again and really just being the best winner in the conference. Week in and week out, they were gritty, they were nasty, and they got wins however they could. So you have to give it to Troy. And if we're not talking about App State, because I think let's let's make it clear, a team that we're very used to seeing in bowl games is not in a bowl game this year. That's the biggest upset of the the biggest letdown of the conference this year. But I think if you look at if I had to put a team right behind them, I think I have to look at Georgia State. I mean, that 0-4 start this year really killed them. And I think they did show some promise, but I did think Georgia State was a team that was going to set themselves up with a bowl appearance this year and really use some of that momentum going into next year. I think they did that on the back half of the season, but the beginning of their season was just very disappointing and kind of put them back a step. And the way they lost to a team like App State, some of those losses that they had were a little bit ugly and it didn't really come down to them being better or worse than a team. It just came down just to execution. And I think they didn't execute at a high level all year as much as you'd want to see. So I think that's my biggest disappointment I guess that's not App State but I think another great surprise this year was Georgia Southern just completely switching up their style of offense and making a bowl game in this year as well coming off of a three-win season the year before. Okay and that backfired on me because I was going with Georgia State so now I have to think on my feet after I made you think on your feet but uh Kate and this one's easy I'm gonna head to the west and a team that disappointed me was Louisiana uh they're a team that I thought had a good chance at winning the west and they proved me wrong they we're a team that in years past under Billy Napier clearly had an identity this year, not so much. Uh, it took them uh, six weeks. And let's be honest, I still don't know if they've settled that quarterback battle because uh, Ben Wooldridge has kind of taken over and then he got injured and Chandler Field started the last couple of games and now he'll also start the bowl game. So I would have to imagine we're heading into next year with a quarterback competition on our hands. Um, their defense was pretty good, uh, but they just didn't have enough going on offense. Chris Smith, I think, had a little bit of a down year. I would have liked to seen more from him. But at the end of the day, that Louisiana program uh, just lost so much talent. The cupboard, the cupboards were really bare. Um, I am not down on that program in the long run. I think I am a little bit down on the fan base. I think that they need to continue to see uh, more growth from that fan base. Obviously, you've talked about how electric of an atmosphere that was to play against in a Sunbelt Conference championship game. But on a week-to-week basis, those fans do not turn out. They seem to turn out for 
more for LSU and other teams uh, in the state of Louisiana than they do for their raging Cajuns. So to me, that was a disappointing year. I think that they have the pieces to rebound uh, moving into next year, but they were my biggest disappointment. Uh, my biggest surprise team, and Caden, I think you left me some low-hanging fruit here. I'm going with James Madison. Like, come on, these guys were picked to finish sixth in the East. And I think we all knew that maybe that was kind of a low pick, but man, did they come on in a big way. If you would have told me at the beginning of a year that a roster that was recently competing in the FCS was going to be ranked inside the top 25 midway through the year, uh, I would have told you you were crazy. And week in and week out, James Madison continued to uh, disprove people and you know continue to just have an excellent season. Um, I know on this podcast, Caden, we have called them uh, the Kings of the East, and they truly were. They dethroned Coastal Carolina in embarrassing fashion at the end of the season. Um, they answered every question that they needed to. And, and quite frankly, if Todd Santeo hadn't been hurt, do they lose the Georgia Southern game? Are they in the Louisville game? Uh, and this could have been a completely different season. They were in almost every game that they played. So to me, they were my biggest surprise team uh, this year in the Sun Belt. And Caden, that allows me to transition very easily into this next question from your former teammate. Who are your early favorites to win the Sun Belt next year? And because I don't want you to steal my picks, I'm going to be selfish and go first. Um, I think that James Madison has to be one of the favorites moving into next year. Uh, I really like Kurt Signetti's ability to go out and bring new players into this roster. We've already seen him dip into the transfer portal this offseason. I expect more of that. I expect him to have a strong high school recruiting class. Uh, Caden, he's a guy, and I called him early on in this year, kind of my spirit animal, because I love his borderline cockiness. Uh, he has, from the start, he has been out in front that this JMU team was going to run this league at some point. Uh, and I think they proved that they are a lot closer to that than maybe some of us gave them credit. So I think they are my early favorite next year. If I wanted to give a, another team that I think will be well-positioned, uh, I think South Alabama is another team that's well positioned to do that. Uh, I also like teams like Georgia Southern and Southern Miss. I think they could be dark horse picks next year uh, in this league if some things go well for them. But uh, those are some of the teams that I'm going to be watching out for next season. Everyone knows I was riding for my guys at South Alabama this year to really get it done and come out the West. And it seems like I was, might have been a year too early. I think they're, like we talked about before, probably the team that's just the best position to be in this title game next year from what they're bringing, bringing back combination of really the talent they're bringing back with the new culture they've produced and created under Kane Walmack. Now they're winning games. Now they're getting more used to winning than losing. And I think that's something that they really needed. And I think they have that confidence now that they're going to carry throughout the offseason. And they know they were just one game short of being in that. I think they're the team that's going to come here in the next season and just be the most motivated and kind of have to be the favorite if you look at what they bring back compared to what they did last year. But if we're talking about more of a dark horse candidate, you talk about a James Madison. I mean, they're definitely going to be eager to finally reestablish themselves, I think, as the kings of the East in this conference. They're what I'm calling the people's champions because we kind of all know and feel a certain way that if they were playing in that championship game, maybe things go differently and look differently for the conference. But I do think they lost a lot of pieces and it's going to be big on Kurtz and Yeti to bring some new recruits in, maybe bring some guys from the portal. So as far as that goes, that's why I think JMU might be a step behind this team in the East that I think is going to be the one to watch next year, and that's Marshall. I've talked in depth about Cam Fancher. I think if he has an offseason where he establishes himself as one of the better returning quarterbacks in the conference, they'll have a lot of good going on there. 
They can bring Rasheen Ali back. If they, I don't know what Kalen Labron's eligibility looks like, but that run game is going to be there for Marshall. He's out of eligibility. Well, listen, that run game is going to be there for Marshall. Even before Laybourne was there, even before Ali was there, they had a guy, number 20, I cannot remember his name, but we played against him, and man, he reminded me like a Marcus Cox type of guy. That run game is going to be there for Marshall, and that defense is going to be there for Marshall. And I think they're going to have they're going to bring back a good combination of pieces as well, and that culture is an eight-win team. So will they have championship expectations for themselves, no matter how anyone rates them? So I think Marshall will definitely be a team to look out at for as well as far as contenders for next year. I think if I had to predict a super, super, really, really early prediction of what the championship game next year would be, I'd say South Alabama and Marshall if I had to pick today. Hey, I'm sure Kurt Signetti is going to print out that sound. That'll probably be played as his team enters the locker room. Uh, and I love that. But, Caden, this was a lot of fun. I think we're going to have to do these uh, more often in terms of answering uh, just some questions. I think it's been fun just to talk some Sunbelt football. Well, that'll do it for our first ever Frarian Smith mailbag episode. A big thank you goes out to everyone that took time to submit your questions. Uh, Kate and I both really enjoyed hearing from you. Here's a quick reminder. We'll be back with another episode of the Frarian Smith podcast on Monday where we'll preview the Cure Bowl matchup between number 24 Troy and number 25 UTSA in Orlando, Florida. Caden, we've already got uh, some great guests coming on the pod for that episode, so you'll definitely want to tune in. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We both enjoyed this episode of the Frarian Smith podcast and certainly hope you did too. If you did, take a moment and subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss another episode. Also, if you like today's show, take a moment. Tell us what you liked by leaving a quick review on Apple Podcasts or by leaving a five-star rating on Spotify. Finally, if you still haven't, and quite frankly, Caden, I don't know what they're waiting for, but follow us at Twitter at at Smith for all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>